Hello, and welcome to the Destiny Church Podcast. We trust that this will be a great encouragement to you and build your faith. Enjoy today's message. Destiny Church, what's going on? Good morning. So glad to have you listening in with us. Hey, last week we started our new summer series titled Raised to Life, and we're doing something we've really never done as a church before. We have decided to preach through an entire book of the Bible, Ephesians specifically, verse by verse. Now, if you didn't get a chance to listen to last week's message, I want to encourage you to listen on our podcast because here's the deal. We took time to, to lay this sturdy foundation as we build on moving through the book of Ephesians. We answered some simple questions like, what is the book of Ephesians all about? Who wrote it? Who's it for? Now, just in case you missed it or just in case you've forgotten since then, that's okay. I got grace for it. Come on. I want to briefly recap. We're introduced to the author of the book, and his name is Paul. And as as you journey back in a a few years in Paul's lives, he has this radical transformation in Jesus. And he basically goes from Christian killer to Christian missionary, arguably the most effective Christian uh, missionary there ever was. So one day, it's almost as if he stumbles into the city of Ephesus, and long story short, ends up staying there for three years, loving pastoring, ministering to the people in the city. It's almost as if God brings revival through this one man, Paul, for three years. And then they get to the end of the three years, and keep in mind, Paul's a missionary. He has other places he has to go. The Lord's prompting him to visit different cities to continue spreading the good news about Jesus and how salvation only falls under that name. So he has to leave the city. And we see kind of this emotional moment he has with some of his friends he's made in Ephesus where they don't know if they'll ever see Paul again. He doesn't know if they'll see them. So as we picked up in the first chapter of Ephesians, um, we see Paul, this is, this is years later since Paul's left Ephesus, he's writing back to this group of people that he loves so dearly. This group of people loved him so dearly. So it's almost this special connection that's being reunited. And the, and the thing that's even crazier is some really believe that Paul's actually writing this from a prison, uh, a prison cell. So today, come on, if you're ready to move through, to continue to move through Ephesians chapter one, I want you to look at your neighbor, say, get ready. Come on, if you're in a car by yourself, say, I'm ready. If you're sitting at home or at a desk, say, I'm ready. Come on, I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna jump into this word. Jesus, we love you. Father, I pray that you would use this word in an effective powerful, impactful way. I pray that everybody who's under my voice right now, in this moment, their hearts would be tilled to receive the seed of your word. Father, I pray that it would uh, take root in their heart. It would grow to produce fruit in their lives. Father, we don't want to just be hearers of your word. We want to be doers as well. In Jesus' name, we all said, amen. Come on, today as we read through Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 14. I I thought y'all might find it interesting that this entire passage is known as what we would call a doxology. Now, I know that sounds like a big, scary word, but all that really means is in the original Greek translation, this entire sentence would pretty much be written out and read as all one sentence. Like, and it would basically indicate that this passage is almost more like a poem or like a song of praise to God. 
Now, as we move through this passage, um, the entire thing takes time to highlight, and really we'll see that this is true through the whole book of Ephesians, but the whole passage takes time to highlight, identify, and praise each member of the Trinity. And here's the deal. We'll gain some powerful perspective on how the Trinity is at work in our everyday lives, Trinity being Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, it won't take long for us to receive revelation of just how wise Paul is, okay? His wisdom is obviously divine, and even as I was studying and preparing for this message, all I could think of is how grateful I am as a Jesus follower, as a believer, that I have these writings that allow me to understand my heavenly Father in such an insightful and intimate way. Come on, are you grateful for it? Come on, Paul begins his letters to the Ephesians with this. I'm going to open up with Ephesians 1. Verse 3, he says, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then he says this, who has blessed us with every, come on, somebody say every. Come on, say it a little louder. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Pastor Mark, what's that mean? But Paul's reminding the Ephesians that God has provided them every spiritual blessing. Come on, that's huge. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms through their relationship with Jesus. Paul's simply saying, don't forget all that being united with Christ means for you. Like every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms is yours when you step into relationship with Jesus. Now, this sounds amazing. And just from the context, I think we all understand that being blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms is probably a good thing. Even if I don't fully understand what that exactly means for me, just from the context, I can assume, okay, that, that sounds like good news. That sounds like that's okay with me. But this verse does, it, it really does, it begs some of those questions. What are spiritual blessings? Like, what is and where is the heavenly realm? What is the heavenly realm? What does all of that mean for me? What does all of that mean for me? Now, as we're in this room today, as maybe you sit in your car or you're sitting at your office desk, wherever you are listening to this message, the, the, the truth of the matter is this, that all of us find ourselves right now in, in an overlap of two dimensions, okay? Ultimately, we, we, yes, we live in a world or we live in a realm that we can see, that we can, that we can touch, that, that's visible to the human eye. But we're also affected by a realm that we can't see. There's a physical realm we're involved with, but there's also a, a, a simultaneously a, an interaction with a spiritual realm known as the heavenly realm. Now, Paul will talk about this as we continue to move through the book of Ephesians, so I figured we should at least get a little familiar with it now. Now, everything that happens in the heavenly realm, it directly affects the physical realm in which we live. In which we live. And we'll see as Paul goes on, uh, it's in the uh, sixth chapter of the book of Ephesians, he, he talks about how there's this spiritual war going on. He's like, listen, listen, when we have conflict, when we're angry with each other, he's like, I don't want you guys to get so distracted in life thinking that it's us versus them or me versus you or it's not about flesh and blood, Paul says. He says it's a spiritual war. Good people are affected by evil spirits. 
Evil people are affected by Jesus in the heavenly realm who gives us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. That's why we see great transformations in people. That's why I've seen great transformation in my life because evil spirits, evil principalities, things I can't see in the heavenly realm were defeated when I allowed Jesus to step into my life. When I came into relationship with Jesus, everything changed. You know what happened? I received every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. In this unseen heavenly realm, simply put, there is a war taking place. And we find ourselves in the middle of it. And just because we can't see it does not mean that it's going on. Does that mean that it doesn't exist? We are in the middle of a war between good and evil. And both sides want our soul. Evil powers, they're, they're currently, right now, they're currently active in this heavenly realm. But, but here's the good news, church. There's coming a day when evil will be completely eradicated from the heavenly realms. And the reason I know that is because we actually discover that good news in another one of Paul's letters. When he, when he, just like he's writing to the Ephesians here, he writes to the church in Corinth, and he writes this. I'm reading out of 1 Corinthians 15, verses 23 through 26. Man, this is, this is rich, so, so lean in with me here. It says this, verse 23, but there is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest, then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. So we see there's a day coming back where, where Jesus is, is going to descend from the heavenlies, right? He's going to descend onto the earth and he's going to take all those who believe back with him. Praise God. That's the best news we ever heard. Verse 24, after the end will come, when he will turn the kingdom over to God the Father, having destroyed every ruler and authority and power. Right, So we see, okay, there's going to be this, this transition of authority where Jesus, everything's going to come under the authority of Jesus, then he's going to hand it off back to the Father. That's what we see here. Right, So I'll read it again. Verse 24 says, After that the end will come when he will turn the kingdom over to God the Father. Why? Because he's been having destroyed every ruler and authority and power. For Christ must reign until he humbles all his enemies beneath his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Eventually, he'll destroy everything, even death itself. Come on. So our relationship with Jesus allows us to receive every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. Now, maybe you're sitting there thinking, okay, I understand the heavenly realm, Pastor Mark, but what are these spiritual blessings? What does that look like? Is that a new truck? Is that a new house? What, is that a new job, the promotion at work? Are those, are those my spiritual blessings? And, and I think of these spiritual blessings and I think of things like our election, our adoption, our redemption, right? From sin and death and the grave, our forgiveness that we found in, in salvation, that Holy Spirit at work within me that seals my salvation. Come on, these blessings, they're not just spiritual because we can't see them. They're spiritual because of who they come from. From They are graciously given to us through the Holy Spirit. Therefore, since they are from the Holy Spirit, they are in essence spiritual. As Paul continues his letter, he elaborates on what are spiritual blessings. Okay, y'all with me? Y'all good? Ephesians 1 verses 4 through 5, it says this. Even before he made the world, 
Come on, even before God made the world, God loved us and he chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Wow. Verse five, God decided in advance. Say decided in advance. He decided in advance to adopt us. And this is some strong language. Come on, adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus. This is what he wanted to do. Keyword wanted, don't you love that? And it gave him great pleasure. Like he was excited to adopt us. He was excited to have us as kids. He was excited to have us co-heirs with Christ. He was excited to have us in the family of faith. This shows the heart of God, the posture of his heart and mind as he, as he receives us as his own, as we return to our original destiny of being sons and daughters of the Father. As Paul is writing, um, as he's writing to the believers in Ephesus, he shares with them the universal truth that before God created the world, now hang, lean in on this, before God created the world, he loved us. He chose us. He planned to make us holy and without fault through Jesus. From the beginning, that, that's what we see. So what that means is God choosing us and God saving us, that, that didn't just happen in a, in a moment. This is something God planned a long time ago, which tells me that's the ultimate act of grace. Because when I had no ability at all, before I was created, before you were created, before I had the ability to, to, to perform, before I had the ability to decide, before I had the ability to make a decision for myself, right? God chose me and adopted me based off what I see in the scriptures. God has divinely selected and predestined believers before the creation of the world to be with him for all eternity. Does that mean that heaven is accessible outside of accepting Jesus Christ as Lord? I don't believe so, but I believe that God is in all of that. I believe that God is in all of that, revealing himself to us in his grace, giving us the opportunity to step into relationship with Jesus, revealing Jesus to us, drawing us to Jesus through his Holy Spirit. It's all his grace at work within my life and in your life. Does that mean I, I so, so if it's all, if God had the plan before I was created, does that mean I go live however I want? Absolutely not. Does, does that mean I stop evangelizing, telling people about the good news, inviting people to, to step into uh, saving grace that's available through professing Jesus as Lord? Do I stop inviting people to that? Absolutely not. Regardless of God's plan, which is far beyond my understanding, its magnitude is it, too great for me to understand. I know this, that I've been commissioned to go. And you've been commissioned to go. We, we've been invited to partner with God. He invites us into a, he invites us to play a role in his plan. And, and I don't know that our finite human minds can fully comprehend or if we'll ever be able to entirely understand the magnitude of God's plan. Yet the fact remains, we as believers have been chosen. We've been chosen. Now it's time to get to work. It's time to get to work. Paul goes on to mention in verse five that we're even adopted into God's family through Jesus. I love that language. I think that word's so strong. Adoption, that's something even me and Abigail have thrown around and 
something that's been on our heart. We love this idea of adoption, you know, be, becoming parents, you know, taking in those who need parents. And, and I think when we think of adoption in, in our American context, that's how, that's how we view it today. That's a lot of what it looks like right now. But what I love about Paul using this word adoption, this terminology here, is how this spiritual adoption we receive through Jesus correlates more so with Roman adoption of the day, which is a little different than adoption in our American context, in our American culture. And I want to break that down for you. We think of adoption in American culture, and we think those rejected by their birth parents, you know, potentially, or, or those without parents, or those in need, or, you know, there's lots of reasons, but it comes down to parents or, or children almost needing parents. But adoption in Paul's day it was more centered around the uniting of two rich and powerful families. Put really simply, adoption was oftentimes a lot more political than anything. Adoption wasn't about giving children's parents who didn't have any, but it was about naming a child as an heir to continue the family legacy, to be able to hang on to property. We needed a son to carry on that name so, so this name, Griffith, can last on throughout the generations or whatever, right? Adoption was about glory and honor and privilege, not about joining a family. Now, in the Roman world, sons would be adopted, like I said, to carry on that family name and maintain property and ownership. But the adopted son, here's the deal. Once that son was adopted, once, once he was accepted into that new family, legally a part of that new family, his natural father was no longer responsible for him. He was no longer responsible to his adoptive father. Any family debt owed, extinguished. The new adoptive son requires an entirely new status. This, this new son, he would have new privileges, new responsibilities, being a part of a new family. So here's the thing. If God adopted us, which, which we see in the text, God adopts us, we have to ask the question, who did he adopt us from? Who, who was parenting us before? Who, who were we children of? And I have two verses here to share, and this is an interesting truth. First John chapter 3, verses 8-10, through 10, he writes this, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Come on, the reason Jesus appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Shout amen. Come on. Verse 9, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he was, he's been born of God. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are children of the devil. There, there we see that children of the devil. This is strong terminology, but we can't act like it's not here. We can't act like it's not written. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. What, what's being written here in, in 1 John is, man, when we say yes to Jesus, when we receive and the empowerment of his Holy Spirit, it changes the fabric of who I am. It changes the consistency of my character. I receive every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. So in that heavenly realm, with those evil principalities that once had me bound, those chains are broken. I am 
made new. My life is going to look a lot different, not because it's all about behavior, but my belief in what I've received has now changed my behavior, right? So if I am a son of God, I have new responsibilities. I have a new privilege. I walk around a little bit differently. I carry myself a little bit differently because I have a new dad. That's what's happening. But before I was a son of God, I was a child of the devil. Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3, it says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Spirit, lowercase s, it says, among, it says uh, verse 3, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature... Here it is again, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. The painful truth is that before we knew God so graciously adopted us through Jesus Christ, we were children of the devil. We were children of wrath. We needed a savior. We needed someone to adopt us out of this dysfunctional family. Come on, teachers, daycare workers, any, anybody who consistently works with children, youth pastors, can I get an amen? Come on. No, that when we see children who seem to struggle with some sort of mental, cognitive, or, or behavioral dysfunction, oftentimes the catalyst to that dysfunction is rooted in that relationship with the parents and what they learn from the parents. And when I wasn't pursuing Jesus when I wasn't in relationship with Jesus, my life was cluttered with dysfunction because I was living as a child of the devil with a dysfunctional dad. Now, maybe we have this argument, man, I know people who don't serve Jesus. I know people who don't serve Jesus, but they're upright people. They're high moral people, but you guys have to understand that it's not all about this physical realm that we're in. There's bondage in a, in, in a heavenly realm that we can't even see. We don't know where people are bound, but what I do know is that those chains are broken. I'm experienced to a new freedom when I put my faith in Jesus, and he is the only one through which every spiritual blessing is found. Don't be deceived thinking that we can behave our way out of spiritual bondage. The reality is that we, we, we are in an overlap of two different worlds. So me, I, I think for a long time I, I lived as, you know, I had a dysfunctional dad, right? For a long time, the devil was my dad <laughs> based off these scriptures, based off the way I lived based off the way I behave, but when I stepped into relationship with Jesus, God the Father, the King of Kings, he became my dad. I became co-heirs with Christ and the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God allowed me to have a rebirth. I became a new creation. I was adopted out of the old dysfunction. I was raised to life, a new creation in power, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead was at work now dwelling within me, right? You know, I, 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 think, of, I think of cell phones. Like, I think of cell phones, and cell phones, they, they need to be charged. 
or, or else they, they can't work without a power source. I think of lights. Lights won't work without being plugged into a power source. Have you ever, maybe this is a weird thought, but have you ever thought about humanity? Have you ever thought about us as humans? There's nothing, like we're not plugged into earth, yet we keep running. Our battery lasts for what, you know, close to 100 years or whatever. Some people 120 years, right? Like what is, what is in us keeping us going, keeping us alive, keeping us moving, breathing, operating, making decisions? It's like we're not robots. We can fully think. It's the Spirit of God dwelling within us, empowering us to live this life that he's, that, 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 that he's called us to live. So I want to move on in Ephesians. But come on, can we take a moment to praise God for adopting us as his own kids? Isn't that not the best news we've received? Come on. Ephesians 1, verses 6 through 8, it says this. So we praise God for the glorious grace he's poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom. Come on, I'm gonna read verse eight again. He has showered us, he has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. In his kindness, in his mercy, God through Jesus has given us spiritual blessings. Now, not only is God's judgment toward toward our acts of disobedience been canceled, but all those evil forces in the heavenly realm, we are no longer bound by those things. We are, we are no longer children of the devil. Know that we no longer are bound in the spiritual realm. Evil is in our parent. I have a new name. I have a new birthright. I have a new inheritance. I have a new dad. I'm saved. I'm made new. I'm holy. I'm righteous. I'm loved. I have a new dad. He adopted me into his family. Paul's reminding and telling the Ephesians who Jesus is and what it means to be in relationship with him. And guess what? What Paul probably didn't realize is 2,000 years later, we'd be reading this to discover it for ourselves. Come on, I'm so glad he took the time to write this down. He wasn't just ministering to the Ephesians, but he'd minister to all those who would read thousands of years later. Paul continues to write in this letter. In verses 9 through 11, God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ which is this, which is to fulfill his own good plan. God has a good plan. God has a good plan, and this is his plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything on heaven and on earth. Listen, if there's going to be a being, a person, a single figure who eventually, at some point in time, Everything together, will, will, you know, under their authority, everything on heaven and on earth will, will come under their authority. Isn't this someone you think we should be in relationship with? Isn't, isn't this a, a relationship that I, I don't think a, a, a essential or imperative is a strong enough word? Like, this is what life is all about. This is the, really the only person that we need a relationship with. What this means is, is, is that at the completion of history, God's going to gather everything to himself. Right? He's going to uh, create a new heaven and a new earth. That was prophesied in Isaiah and Revelation. But this new universe is going to be unified under one person, and that person is Jesus. I just wonder, if you're, if you're listening, do you know him? Have you given him your heart? Have you given him your life? 
Have you fixed your gaze on this man, Jesus? Paul goes on to write in verse 11, Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. For he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. Come on, Paul emphasizes the magnitude of being in union with Christ, but along with that, he makes the note that God's working out his plan. God's, everything is working out according to God's plan. Somebody, somebody listening, you, you need to trust that your faithfulness, your devotion has not been offered in vain. God is at work accomplishing his perfect will in you and I. This, this passage emphasizes God's providence and sovereignty. Everything that happens results from, results from God's will in some way. And everything that God planned will certainly come to pass. Do I always understand his plan? No. Do his plans always make sense to me? No. Am I at times prideful to think I'm capable of making better decisions than God? Yes. Does God do things the way I do things? No. Am I grateful for that? Yes. Come on, church. As Paul writes to the church of Ephesus, I think part of what he's trying to communicate is that our heavenly father can be trusted. And we know that he can be trusted because he's given us Jesus. And God, through Jesus, has given us everything. He's given us life. Ephesians, uh, I'm about to wrap this up here. Ephesians 1, I'll wrap up with verses 12 through 14. It says this, God's purpose was that the Jews who were the first to trust in Christ would bring praise and glory to God. Right, and then he says, and now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you. Come on, say identified. He identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. It's, it, it, it's almost as if, it, it's almost as if he's like, how will we know? How will he know who my followers are? How, how will we know who believe in me? I need to mark them in some sort of way, right? I, I, I want to mark that. So what does he do? He, he deposits his Holy Spirit within us. Deposits his Spirit. And verse 14 says, The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would, so we would praise and glorify you know, something I, I really feel in my heart as I'm communicating this message is when we, gave our, when we gave our hearts to Jesus, when we confessed that he was Lord, we received that Holy Spirit. And I think there's lots of Christians today who seem to neglect that the Spirit of God is at work in, in you. And I don't know if we're waiting for this mystical moment where... Um, you know, we recognize that the Spirit's at work within us. But I think that moment can happen now. I, 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 I think the Spirit at work is within us. I think my prayer is this, that we would become more aware to it. That we would become more sensitive that the Spirit of God is at work within us. Paul writes, when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by, by giving you the Holy Spirit promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee. He will give us the inheritance he's promised. And maybe we wrestle with that. Like, how do I know I've been given the Holy Spirit? How do, how do I know the Spirit's at work within me? 
As, as we venture through Acts, you'll see that those who accept the message of Jesus, often, you know, after they receive uh, the gospel or the good news, um, they'll, they'll speak out in tongues or they'll prophesy upon their conversion. You know, when we talked, when we were looking at Acts last week, we see Paul, he walks into Ephesus, he baptizes these 12 men, then he prays for them. And when he prays for them, the Holy Spirit falls on them in such a way they speak out in tongues. But there are also times people accept the message of Jesus, they accept the gospel as, you know, uh, to be true, but that experience doesn't happen or take place. So one commentary I read, it it put it this way, because I think people wrestle with, how do I know? Now, if I just, you know, if I get zapped by the Holy Holy Spirit in a way, and I speak out in tongues, it's going to be pretty obvious for me to understand that the Holy Spirit is at work within me. But Pastor Mark, what if that hasn't happened to me? What if I haven't had that moment? One commentary I read, it put it this way, there is no single model or pattern for the coming of the Spirit or its accompanying signs. The general pattern, however, is reception of the Spirit at the time of conversion. So when, when, when Paul baptizes these guys in Ephesus and then he lays hands on them and prays for them, they speak out in tongues. And this, I, I would suggest, this is evidence that the Holy Spirit is at work within them. But based off the scriptures, and, and, and I just want to say, based off the scriptures, we should all eagerly desire to experience and operate in the gifts of the Spirit. That is vital. That is, the, 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 we have been gifted by the Holy Spirit to accomplish a specific role within the, within the body. If we neglect these spiritual gifts we've been given, we, we are in essence neglecting our role in the body, what we have to offer, uh, what that part of God plan, but just because that experience may not happen to us does not negate that the Holy Spirit is at work within us. I believe that when one puts their faith in Jesus, God deposits his Holy Spirit within us, and we are in that moment being made new. We begin to live a life infused and empowered by the Holy Spirit at work within us. Us. You know, as you, as you read in Galatians, you'll see that there's this war between our flesh and our spirit. And I think it's time that we, we, we begin to fix our gaze on the spirit. We begin to submit to the spirit. We begin to starve the things of the flesh so that the spirit of God working within us, we can grow more sensitive. It can grow strong within us. The Holy Spirit at work within us is our guarantee that eternity with our heavenly father is sealed. Listen, I, I'm excited. Uh, you know, this is just the beginning and it's already been so rich, so edifying to my spirit. I hope you have felt it's been that for you. Next week, we're gonna get close to wrapping up chapter one and, and I can't wait. But my prayer is this, is, is that I close this out. I want us to begin to live life with a new gratefulness for what Jesus has done for us. I I want us to wake up every day with a greater understanding, now knowing we've received every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms through Jesus. We've received salvation and redemption. We've received a new name, a new birthright, new responsibilities. We've been infused and empowered with the Spirit of God, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead is at work within us. Here's my prayer, that we would become more aware of it, that we would live life with with a new gratefulness and a new gratitude. Thank you so much for joining us. Special thanks to those of you who give to this ministry. 
It's because of you that this ministry is possible. You can check out the link in the description to give or visit destinychurch.me give. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We love you and have a blessed week.